Welcome to the Consumed Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, You Called My Name, by Pastor Matthew Benavides. For any further information about this message or the ministries of Consumed Church, you can check us out at theconsumedchurch.com. Before I say anything, I would really love to thank and honor the the elders here and the leadership here. Thank you for trusting me um, to bring the word of the Lord today. It means so much. Um, I I don't take this lightly. Uh, I was talking with Alan back before worship started, and I told him, most musicians would disagree with this statement, but um, the, the worship leader, the guy singing the songs, I don't believe is really the the worship leader in that morning service. I think the worship leader is the person who's bringing the word of God because he's the one who's steering the direction. He's the one who's who's tilling the ground, who's showing people the things that he's found so you can get any bit of Jesus. So I don't take this opportunity lightly. There is a problem, and we're in trouble. We don't know who we are. Sometimes Christians can be some of the most cynical and downcast people. I've, I've met a lot of Christians who, who truly, truly struggle with their identity and who truly do not know their name. My name is Matthew, and it means gift from God. And let me tell you, the enemy attacks my identity more than anything else. He attacks my self-worth more than anything else. And he tries to make me believe that I don't belong here. I don't know what your name is. I don't, I don't know the call that you have in your life. I don't know what God has birthed within you. But you have to know that you've been called. You must know and believe that you have been called by God. Think of someone like John the Baptist, who was able to quote the prophets of old and say, I am the voice who cries out from the wilderness to make a path straight for the Lord. We need that level of confidence when we walk, when we breathe, when we move, when we encounter people. We should be walking encounters with Jesus because we know who we are. like to invite you to pray with me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I admit that I can't do anything apart from you. I cannot preach. I cannot pray. I cannot have a burden in my heart that's holy unless I'm completely yours. So I admit that I need you today. And I think we can all agree with that one. We all need you today. We admit it. We're nothing by ourselves. And my prayer is that your word would resound, that your word would cut deeply, and that your word would be the final word. Your word would have the final say. Your word would have the authority that it's due because you spoke them. 
We trust you. And we believe in you. Can all of the church say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. This Exodus chapter 3, we're going to be starting in verse 1. Now the plan of God has already been set in motion. We've met Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even Joseph. And there has been so much time that after Joseph's passing, the Pharaoh and the king passed away and they forgot. They forgot what trust they had given to Joseph and the people of Israel. And they enslaved, they captured and and held captive all of the Israelites in Egypt. So there was an issue here. There's a problem. Um, Before I read, I want to just say the title of my message is, You Called My Name. And if there was a subtitle for it, I would say responding. He calls our names, but what do we do with it? You know what I mean? We, it's up to us to, to lean into that. Um, I guess to set the groundwork here, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. You believe you're called. There. That settles it. Exodus chapter 3 says, Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock back to the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire and from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. Here's some names. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look at God. So, here's Moses. He's tending to his flock. And if you, if you don't know, in the prior chapters, we find that Moses murdered an Egyptian soldier. And he fled. He fled to Midian. So he's, he's tending to a flock. This is, this is a living. This is a way of life. This is something that requires training. He has become a shepherd. He is leading and tending to the flock. And this is something that he must have been doing every single day. You know, there, there weren't that many career opportunities back then in ancient Israel, ancient Egypt, sorry. Um, unless you were an Egyptian, you know, you had, you had access to goats, lambs, you know, hopefully some clean water, and, and you just lived. So scholars believe Moses was about 80 years old at this point of his life. So he's tending to his flock, living out his career. He had a son. He named him Gershom, which means sojourner. 
which is very evocative of the life that he's lived thus far. And, and he doesn't know what the rest of his life is going to look like, except that he was called by Yahweh, but now he's a shepherd and he's 80 years old and what's going on? But he, he sees this sight that's about to radically change his life forever. And I love that he, he literally says, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. I think it's funny. You know, no one really talks about things like that anymore. Like if I said, I'm going to do a backflip off of this altar, everyone's going to be like, oh, whoa. I don't think anyone's really going to utter the words. I will now see this great sight. (laughs) Moses has set his eyes upon holiness itself. Upon something entirely otherworldly. It's the angel of the Lord from the midst of a bush in a flame. But it's not a sweltering flame. It's not a burning flame. The bush was not consumed. And yet there was a voice. He hears a voice and the voice calls his name. Moses. Moses. Moses responds and says, here I am. I can't imagine how confused he might be. I can't imagine how worried he might be. But, but I mean, to put it plainly, I would probably be freaking out right now. You know what I mean? This, 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 this is a scary sight. Yet Moses still has the mental wherewithal to say, I'll, I'll look. So he comes into God's presence and he finds this, this essence and something that I think that we lack today is, is the severity of the presence of God. The presence is a person. When we say we're in the presence of God, it means he's here. The same way I can look at Pastor John and say, hey, you know, I can get close to him. I can smell him. I can feel him. You know, as weird as that sounds, they're, they're a physical presence, a, a physical presence means that there's a person there. And this person, Yahweh, the great I am, is about to call Moses by name. I think the most important thing that I hope you can take away from this Sunday is how does God solve problems? I think it's a deep, that's a deep question that we all have. How does God solve problems when there are so many? We're fighting liberal Christianity in the days of post, post-modernity. We're fighting against not only false teaching, but heresy, unbelief, and an absolute colluding with sin in the pulpit. How does God solve these problems? How is he going to solve the problem that Israel has been enslaved? How is he going to solve the problem that that we have ministers, we have pastors of churches who identify with the LGBTQ? He calls someone. And he calls someone by name. He's about to do something so important here. He needs to make sure that Moses hears it. In ancient times, we, we, we don't see the words really or very 
you know, something is very hot or something is really cold. A lot of the times in ancient tradition, they would repeat words like, truly, truly, I say unto you. Right here, I think it's really, really significant that God says, Moses, Moses. He calls his name twice. And he's about to enact, he's about to enlist, and he's about to prove to the world that he is Lord because he's going to send a man. So Moses responds, we all know the story. I'm slow of speech. How can I do it? They won't listen to me. Who will I say sent me? He has all these questions. But God provides. God gives him Aaron. Says, I will send Aaron with you. Calls Aaron by name too. And then God gives him every single word to say. Moses did not have to make anything up. He didn't have to believe that he thought something up from his heart, from his mind, from his soul, like a lot of Christians do today. He knew the voice of God, and he knew exactly what God wanted him to say because he put his words in his mouth. And he was sent. But what does it mean to be sent? What does it mean to do apostolic ministry? That's where we get that term. Apostello means sent. And an apostle is a sent one. So say I work for a business in Texas. <laughs> Here's an example. Say I work for a business in Texas, and my boss tells me, hey, there's a really important business meeting happening in New York City. It's really, really important that you be there because I can't go. I'm going to be busy in California. So the businessman sends you and says, tell them I sent you. Tell them that you work for me. And then what's going to happen? He's going to be in the name of or in the authority of the person who sent him. So essentially, everything that he says is going to be equal to what the person who sent him was saying. So he has authority. He goes to New York. He nails this meeting. He, he does the sale. He makes business for, for a growing company. And, and he did it with authority because the boss told him to and the boss let him. And he could back it up by saying, you can call him. You can tell him, you know, who is this guy? Oh, I sent him. Okay, but say that same guy decides, you know what, I'm not going to go to New York. I really want to go to Philly. I really want to see what New Jersey's like. You know, they have the same company in Philly. You know, why don't I just go there? Because I'm, I'm being sent to New York anyway. So this man goes to Philadelphia. He gets to the business meeting. I don't know how he got in. And then the, the owner of that building says, who are you? Who sent you? I don't know you. And, and you're outside of the authority of what you've been sent to do. When you're outside of the authority, you don't have power. You don't have anything. So if and when you are going to be sent to do something from God, know that he will call your name. 
He will call your name and he'll tell you what to do. And he'll give you authority to do it. And he won't let, he won't let anyone say otherwise. Well, they can try, but to be under the authority of God is, is to be doing the work of God himself. That's what it means to be called. What it means to be called of God is to say, he called my name, he told me what to do, I know where to go, and I'm going to do it. Because he would said so. That's your calling. And I don't know the seeds that he's planted in you, like I was saying earlier. I don't know the dreams that you have or, or the ideas that he's giving you. But go and do it. Go and do it. Just give it a try. You know, when I was in high school, if, if you don't know this, I was homeschooled all the way up until public high school, which was a crazy, crazy wild ride. That, I was in for the, the culture shock of my entire life. So you could find 14-year-old Matthew walking around the hallways with my Bible in my hand, which a lot of people don't do anymore. Um, and I, I don't really knock them for not doing it. If I'm being honest, you, you faced a lot of ridicule. A lot of people laughed at me. I didn't know why. And there was this guy. I don't know why his name was OG. Um, but yeah, he goes, <laughs> he goes, hey, Father Matthew. I'm like, Father Matthew? Father Matthew? He goes, yeah, you go to like Catholic church and stuff, right? You're a father. You got the Bible and everything. What's your favorite book of the Bible, Father Matthew? Anyway, to find other Christians in school was, was a moment that was far and few between. They were hard to find um, equally yoked people, equally yoked friends. I did not make a lot of friends in high school because I, I unfortunately was very rigidly religious. Um, I think at, now at this point in my life, I think it was to my benefit. But back then, I, I struggled a lot because I wasn't making friends and I, I didn't understand why. And God, God allowed me to go through that, and he, he worked it for good. He made, he made me who I am today and, and used that to shape me. But one of the friends that I made, one of the friends that I made, 18 years old, it's our senior year, and I see him in the hallway, and he comes up to me, and he tells me, hey, how are you? I was like, I'm good. I'm just doing life. And he goes, yeah. I'm not doing good. I said, what happened? And he goes, well, I don't really want to talk about it, but I messed up. I missed my calling. This 18-year-old tells me face-to-face -face that he messed up and he missed his calling. Can I tell you, Moses was 80 years old when he re received the call of God on his life. Moses was 80 years old when he received the call of God. I want to encourage you. And I hope this doesn't sound harsh. But God doesn't care how old you are. It does not matter to God how old or how young you are. And it, hey, it says in here that, that we'll live 120 years. I fully intend on taking advantage of all those 120 years. Come on, praise God for modern medicine, right? 
You did not miss your call. You did not miss it. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how far gone you think you are. You did not miss your call. No one is too messed up. No one is too far gone. No one is too depraved. Because we all fall short. But when you go out, know that you might face opposition. You might face great opposition when you're living out the call of God. I know this isn't really that great opposition, but Kaya, my wife, and I, we've been going live on TikTok. It's been really fun. It's, it's been really, really fun and interesting. But um, just like three weeks ago or something, we, were, we put, ask a pastor, ask me anything on TikTok live, and immediately um, all sorts of crazy questions started coming in. And I was answering them as honestly as I could with as much grace as possible, and we got banned for two weeks. I, well, we didn't get banned. I got her account banned that she's been building up for a couple of years now. And, you know, it, it's back to normal now. This is a small scale. This is a, a very small picture of, of what real suffering looks like in the world. You might face people that hate you because of the gospel that you preach. You might face great persecution. But fear not, be not afraid Because if we're talking about persecutors, man, let me tell you a story of a guy who God used, who used to persecute the church. If you would turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Amen, you're buying lunch. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 9. See, I'm good on time. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Oh, what a, what a great sight. <laughs> now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise, enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand, brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So while Moses was led into an utterly beautiful encounter with God, here is Saul of Tarsus 
forced to face the glory of God as an utter fool. And here also we see the repetition of names. We see Saul, Saul. It's extremely important that you hear the voice of God when he calls you. But don't worry, you're not going to miss it. I trust that. But here, he is making absolutely sure that Saul of Tarsus sees him and knows exactly who he is. I think it's really funny that Saul says, who are you, Lord? The, the original Greek is actually kyrios, which, which is more closely related to the word sir. It's not Lord like, you know, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. It's, it's not that. He's, he's so utterly afraid that he says, who are you, sir? Because the presence of God is that constricting to a sin nature. The presence of God is that life-changing. If you're on a road to destruction, There's a a connection that that I want to make here. God has allowed these two different men access into his presence. And he calls their name. And we see how they respond. Moses hid his face. And Saul blindly blurted out a word that, that was the most respectful thing he could muster up. And then he was blinded. And he couldn't eat or drink for three days. We need to have reverence for the presence of God. Reverence. Father God, we acknowledge your presence. And we know that you're here. Lord, Lord, we know that you're here and we acknowledge your presence. We know that you're falling down here in this room and you're going to rain down in all of our lives. And we want to worship you. We want to honor you. Help us to see the truth of your word and ignite a flame within us by your spirit and lead us. You don't have to be afraid to be in the presence of God. That's one of my favorite things about him. He's so holy and worthy and matchless in glory. Yet, he allows allows us, he allows these earthen vessels access into his presence. So Moses sees a fire. Saul of Tarsus finds out that it would have been better to stare full-faced at the midday sun than to try and attempt to look at the Son of Man in his deeply fallen nature. I'm all about grace. I'm all about mercy. Because we know that he delights in showing mercy And mercy triumphs over judgment. There's so many beautiful songs with that sentiment. But please, please know that it's up to us to respond to the call of God. 
As much as we would like to say, if I was in his shoes, I would have, I would have followed him immediately. You know, I would never have denied Jesus. Never. You know that when, when Jesus and the disciples were, were at the Last Supper, and he says, one of you will betray me, all of the disciples questioned from within themselves. They said, who is it, Lord? Who is it? That's scary. Because that means that they all looked like good Christians. They all looked like righteous people. They all talked the talk, walked the walk, and they didn't know which one of them was about to betray the Son of Man. If you'd please turn with me back to Genesis. We're going to be in chapter 19. I'm going to be in verse 14. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. They're in Sodom and Gomorrah, if you uh, remember. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. They thought he was joking. They thought he was, he was kidding that the Lord was about to bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. He lingered. A lot of people point to Lot and they say, yeah, he was the only righteous man in in Sodom and Gomorrah. But here we see his righteousness was challenged and it was difficult for him to leave. We need to realize that sin can have a grip on you. It can be very, very difficult to escape from the vices of sin and death. It is, it is difficult. What will continue here? He lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him out of the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life! Don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And if you've shown me great kindness in, in, in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. He's making excuses. Behold, the city is near enough to flee to, and, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it, is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor. Also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Man, God's grace is present in every single book of the Bible. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. That's also another little side note. He's not going to do anything until someone goes. 
nor pestilence, nor calamity, nor goodness, nor mercy. He's not going to act until someone goes because he's chosen to bound himself to mankind that he's created so we can create the kingdom of God on earth. He's not going to do it without us. Therefore, they named the city, and they called it Zoar. It means little. Verse 23, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And that's the end of the story for Lot's wife, that is. We never hear about her ever again. And I'm certain that had Lot's wife tripped or, you know, turned around as she's climbing a hill and she accidentally sees Sodom and Gomorrah in her periphery, she wouldn't have been turned into a pillar of salt. The reason that she was turned into a pillar of salt was because her heart still belonged in Sodom and Gomorrah. We know for a fact that Lot's wife witnessed Lot and Abraham making holy sacrifices unto Yahweh. She saw what a Christian life looked like, although they weren't called Christians back then. She saw what it was to serve and honor the Lord. God sent two angels. She saw those angels. How many people today pray for angelic presence, angelic visitations, signs, wonders, and miracles, and then they leave and they're not changed at all? Seeing angels is not going to save you. Even seeing signs, wonders, and miracles, though they are a blessed sight, they will not save you. But there is a choice that has to be made. Are you still drinking too much? Remember Lot's wife. Young men, young women, are you still watching pornography? Remember Lot's wife. Are you still bickering and arguing with your spouse every single day? Remember Lot's wife, who saw the call of God on someone's life, witnessed two angels, deliver them and save them, yet she chose to keep her heart in Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember Lot's wife. If you are colluding with sin, believer, this ought not be. But that's it. That's as heavy-handed as I'm going to get this morning. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. (laughs) I am so thankful for the blood of Jesus. Because when I acted like Lot's wife, or when I even acted like Lot, and I lingered in my sin, he still, he still left that seed planted in me. And he's still allowing that seed to grow and come to fruition. And I know the same is true for your lives. 
I'm going to close with this scripture. If you would please turn with me one last time to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 11 through 18. But Mary. Man, before I I continue, I need to point out, it was and Moses, but Saul, but Mary. These are moments that in Scripture, when you're reading... Those therefores, buts, ifs, whatever those, those little words, whenever they show up, you need to go back. You need to realize that, that there, there's an issue behind that scripture that you're reading. But I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. She stood to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you laid him, and I'll take him away. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. I love that the New King James Version puts an exclamation point on that Mary. It says, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he had said these things to her. That he said these things to her. When Mary visited Jesus' tomb, she was not expecting him to be gone. In fact, none of the disciples were were truly expecting the resurrection. Because if if you pay attention to Scripture, not a single one of them kept their devotion to him. A lot of people think it was just Peter that denied Jesus. But who was it? Nicodemus and Joseph of uh, Arimathea. Sorry. Two... Two Pharisees buried Jesus of Nazareth. Not a single one of his beloved disciples. So when Mary happens upon the tomb and finds him gone, she is frantic. She's definitely wondering who stole the body. And she asks the gardener here, where have you taken him? 
let me go to him so I can find him. She's wondering if, if a Roman soldier came or, or if Jesus Christ has been thrown into a pit. She just wants to be near the body because she, she is devoted to him. She knows that nearness to God really, really does matter. But she didn't recognize him. And I think it's really important to realize you're not always going to recognize God. You're not always going to recognize through the seasons that you're in, you're not always going to recognize his voice. But trust in the Lord. Because his lambs, his sheep know his voice. He is our shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He's going to call you by name and he's not going to let you miss it. He knows your name and he knows your frame. Say you're like Moses. He knows, yes, you might be slow to speech. You might have a stutter. I'll send you Aaron. You might even be like Paul. You know, in in the letters of, of Paul's writings, we see evidence that he may have been going blind and even that he might have been slow of speech, but that they, they really liked the way that he wrote in his letters. You know, he sounded different from when he spoke versus when he wrote, so they preferred when he wrote because when he spoke, it wasn't as strong as when he wrote. But God still used him. And man, did God use him. So I said, then, then Moses, but Saul, but Mary. So Moses was sent How does God solve problems? In Exodus chapter 2, we see that God remembered the covenant that he had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he heard the groanings of his people. Now Moses was tending to the flock. And God's about to call him. Acts chapter 8, the very first martyr in all of Christendom, Stephen, put to the death. He has an open vision of God. He sees Christ standing up. And he says, no, Lord, please sit back down. Now is not yet the time, but but forgive them. But Saul. Saul was literally prayed into the kingdom of God. He He was looking for every single opportunity to destroy men and women of the way. But because of a prayer of our blessed First martyr, Stephen, and that prayer that he prayed for the Lord to sit back down because it wasn't yet time for him to come in judgment. Now Saul, but Saul. And this, Mary Magdalene, a woman in the year, what, A.D. 35, 36, 37, one of those years, an absolutely patriarchal system and society, a woman whose testimony was about to be the very thing that we base our faith on, that Jesus Christ has risen. Jesus chose a woman. He chose a woman to... to, to bring to the disciples the testimony that our Lord had risen. Not only that, but she was there first when when they found out that the body was gone. And then she ran to the disciples, and then we see John beats Peter, and Peter, you know, he's like, oh. And then all the disciples went to their house. But Mary went to the tomb. 
and Moses, but Saul, but Mary. It is so important that you know and you believe that you've been called by God. And I know, I know you might face trials. I've faced my fair share. We all will face trials as we pursue the word of the Lord and as we, we show people the love of God. Because we are signs of the times. We are priests. You've not only been called, but you've been called by name and you've been made a priest of God. Think about that. That's like Adam, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, David, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, who was Saul, Timothy, Titus, John, Eric, Noah, Roman. You've been called by name. You have been called by name. Let's pray. (laughs) Jesus, thank you that you not only know our names, but you chose us from before the foundations of the earth. All of us in this room have been fearfully and wonderfully made, and we praise you for this truth. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're going to show us exactly what to do, that you're going to call us by name, and you're going to give us your directives for your kingdom to be built here on earth. We praise you. We adore you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the evidence that we can point to so we can truly know and say and believe that you call us by name. And you will not lose a single one that the Father has given to you. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.